0: Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn But also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening and may God bless you abundantly. When I was in college, we studied i went through this whole course a couple of different courses on bible study methods and as we were doing it i was like man this is this is good stuff i don't understand why we're not teaching this to everybody like why is this just a pastor thing and so with that, that was the reason that motivated me to kind of do it as a church, but I feel like we are kind of a different church than we were three years ago, and so I feel like it's good for us to give back, because if you've been with me for a long period of time, or even a short period of time, you know that one of my, my major heart is that if we can get the entire body of Christ reading the Bible, then we're going to see mighty power and maturity, because the Scriptures are our sustenance. The Scriptures are our food, and so if we're in the Word, the Bible says Says that's how we are growing, through the power of the Spirit, using the Word of God to make us into the image of God. And so I, I just really want us to be people who are in love with the Word. And we have a lot of people in this room who are in love with the Word. But for those of us who need a little nudge, this is hopefully our nudge. So Word of God, Bible study methods, the first two words that we need to remember, okay? When you're doing this, now this is going to be kind of like college course. Now look at me funny if I lose you, if I'm going... I'm trying not to. I really, I think this is going to be pretty simple um, and hopefully keep you and keep you engaged. But two words, exegesis, eisegesis. Okay, there's two important words. You don't need to remember the word, but remember the concept, okay? Exegesis is when we are trying to extract, just think exegesis extract just think that way extract something with the bible so we we're going to the word of god we have no agenda we have no idea like we don't have any plans for the bible we don't try to make it say something we don't go in with the idea of like i want to find verses that support my idea no it's just i want to know what the bible says so i'm going to read the bible and i'm going to extract what it says what god's intended design and purpose was for this verse and so that's exegesis then there's Jesus, and eisegesis is a no-no. Okay, this is I have an opinion, I want to talk about love, I want to talk about grace, or I want to talk about, or I want to talk about whatever, or I want the Bible to, to validate my experiences, and so what I'm gonna do is I'm going to Google verses that seem to support my view. And if you go to the Bible eisegetically, you can make the Bible mean whatever you want it to mean. Like it becomes anything and everything. You just read a verse out of its context and it kind of supports your view on things. And there's major issues with it and there's minor issues. I mean, that eisegetic is like, I don't know if you remember when Tim Tebow, uh, he put the Philippians 4.13 under his eyes. Remember that? like he was and what he meant by that is I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me I mean no I'm not making fun of Tim too but I think he's done a lot for like the kingdom when he speaks but I'm saying it was that idea of like everybody loved Philippians 4 13 and we're going to do all things we could win this battle but here's the problem what happens with the other team in the Philippians 4 what did they put Philippians 14 under their eyes and so then we just become a soccer team and we tie and it's just not good for anybody um so we can use it that way. What well, it means that we can do, we can win the game as the kid who never studied and said, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me and so I'm gonna waste the test, right? Or, you know, well, I you know, this guy hit me and the Bible does say, eye for an eye. So let me punch him back. Or I'm in prison because I murdered somebody and Jesus does say he came to set the captives free. So I'm gonna get free. So there are things like that that really are kind of just humorous. They don't affect in our lives, but then there are also other verses Such as in Jeremiah chapter 29, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future, declares the Lord. Now we read that. Now here's the problem. We use that verse as a pretext of this is for all people, all times, God's plan for everybody. This is a verse that we pull out of the context of Jeremiah talking to the nation of Israel who are in exile of Babylon because they have been rebellious. God put them into Babylon because of the rebellion and idolatry. And then God says, I now, I'm going to rescue you and bring you back to the land flowing with milk and honey as I once intended for you. And as long as you're keeping my statutes and commands, my plan for you is to prosper you. But we take that verse and we rip it out of the context in which God has intended. And we apply it to all people at all times for every situation. But then you get to James where James says, consider it joy when you're going through trials and tribulations. And how do we work all of these different things out? The problem, the danger with this and Jesus, is that ultimately we begin to be people who bank our lives on promises that God never promised. That's the danger of Jesus. We start to become people who are living on promises that God never promised. This is what Satan does. Remember what Satan did with Jesus in the desert? He he goes to Jesus and he says, did God not say, right? He quotes scripture to Jesus, but he manipulates it. He rips it out of context to try to get to stumble Jesus. Satan reads the Bible isogetically. Unbelievers. I mean, doesn't it, get, doesn't it get on your nerves whenever you're trying to preach to somebody or tell somebody, hey man, we're all sinners or usually we, we're sinners saved by grace. And they're like, don't call me a sinner. The Bible says don't judge, right? Oh, it drives me nuts. Oh, it just gets under my skin. Like the Bible says love everybody and you don't love me. You're not loving me. I'm like, okay. But it's that. They take the Bible and they rip it out of there. They use it for this weapon. And all you got to do is Google what Bible verses to attack Christians with. And the Bible says you shouldn't eat pork. And look at you. You're eating pork, you sinner. You know, like, you know, the Bible's, God's a wicked man. God's a wicked God because he commanded all these people to be slaughtered. and God. So they just rip these verses. And that's what unbelievers do. And what's sad, though, is that I see a lot of believers who are reading the Bible this way, who are reading the Bible Isegetically, and they're just using the Bible to support their experiences, to support their beliefs already, to support their denomination, their background, their upbringing, whatever else. They use the Bible to support them rather than saying, God, what does your word say? I want to know your word. Now, one of the biggest things I want to do before we move on, I do want to say this because it's becoming more and more popular, but the verse of the day, how many of us get the verse of the day? Now, I don't think a baby's going to make fun of us. I'm not raising my hand because I do that to you guys a lot. I'm like, how many you guys, do? Let, me make, let me bash it. Now, um, I do the verse of the day. I get the verse of the day. But, but the danger of the verse of the day, this is, it can be dangerous in that when you get the verse of the day, it's not dangerous in that it's good. It's the word of God. But we got to remember that we can't just take the, take the verse and just say, that's it. I challenge you, every time you get the verse today, go back to the chapter that it was written in and just read the context of that verse so you really fully get the full nature of what God was saying with that verse. So this is Jesus. okay? You guys with me still? Jesus is wrong, a no-no. Exegesis is what we're gonna be learning this morning. Exegesis is we are trying to figure out what God intended when he wrote the verse, okay? And we're going to do so through a word called hermeneutics. Hermeneia is the Greek. It's in about 10 verses in the New Testament. They use this. Basically, what it means is just to extract, to explain, to translate hermeneia, hermeneutics. It's just a fancy word to say, Bible study methods, How are we going to study the Bible? And throughout the history of the church, many people have done different ways of studying the Bible. But one thing we've got to remember, as a church, as the Well Church, we believe in single meaning. Okay? We believe in single meaning. What do I mean by that? I mean, it's very common... And you probably heard this, and maybe some of us have said this, that the Bible, you go, everybody goes to the Bible, and we could all pull out different meanings from the Bible, from the same verse. So this verse means this to you, and this verse means this to me. It's different meanings or different truths, but it's all validated because, you know, we try to use God. God's a bigger God than we can imagine, and so he makes this, this truth mean this for you, and this truth mean this for you. It's the same verse, different truths, we, and, and both truths are validated, Guys, that makes no sense, right? How does that make any sense? Like if 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 one truth says this is sin and another truth says this is not sin, how can they both be truth? They don't make sense. We believe in single meaning, meaning that God, when he wrote the Bible, he intended it to mean something. And so our job is to figure out what he wanted to say in, in any individual verse. It's like this. When I talk to my wife, when I, like, a, couple, a couple weeks ago, well, it happens quite often, but when I talk to my wife, you know, I'll say something like, hey, babe, did you, get to do, did you do the laundry, right? And all I meant was, did you do the laundry, right? <laughs> like, is, is the laundry done? Like, I just want to know. I, do I have to go down and do it? Like, I just want to know, very simple, what she hears is, babe, you weren't doing anything all day with these three kids. You had nothing to do all day. Did you do the laundry? Because you should have done the laundry because you had nothing to do. Now, she gets angry at me because of her interpretation of what I said. Now, this, this is how I communicate with my wife, a little insight. I will tell her, babe, look, I don't care. You have no right to get angry, because I did not mean that. She says, it doesn't matter what you meant. That's how I took it, and that's how I interpreted it. So it doesn't matter. And I said, look, my responsibility is not to validate your wrong interpretation of what I meant, because what I meant is the truth, because I meant what I said, because I said it. And so your false interpretation is not valid. Goes over really well in my house. So, there, in this moment, there's, there's not two truths, her truth and my truth. There is the truth, and that's my truth because I said what I said. And, and that's the way we got to look at the scriptures. It's not, oh, we all have different truths going into scripture. No, God said what he said. Now, our job is to figure it out. Now, we can have different applications, Like me, as a father of three, another baby coming on the way, when God says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now, that's a single truth, especially all husbands. I mean, we all have that truth. Now, I'm going to apply that differently as a father of almost four and just all under three years old craziness. I'm going to apply that a little differently, application in my life, than somebody who's just newly married, right? They have no other responsibilities but their spouse. Like, just soak it in, okay? Soak it in. And you're going to apply it differently. And then they're, go, they're going to apply it. We're going to apply it differently than somebody, uh, you know, like Jim and Patsy, who's been married for how many years? 58 years. And all their kids are gone. And they are, they are home alone, right? You know? And so all their kids are here, okay? But, but they, they're going to apply it differently. So that is different application but single meaning. That's what we need to remember as we're going. So the poema plan. Hermeneutics, studying the Bible, we're going to do it through the poema plan. What is the poema plan? P, prayer. Prayer and preparation. O, observation. I, interpretation. M, meditation. A, application. Okay, so let's jump into this. This is the poema plan. This is the method by which we are going to study the Bible. This is the method I was taught. Most methods are around this, based around this. The other methods that you'll look if you Google things, they'll actually get rid of P and M. But OIA is really what most people study, observe, interpretation, apply. What I learned was we got to add prayer. We got to add meditation because we got to remember in prayer whose word this is. This is not a textbook. This is not us going to learn something to just be, you know, feel more superior or to, to just learn something, to be more intellectually intelligent. That's not what we're going to the Bible for. Um, I mean, I actually get, I sometimes I, as a pastor, I get caught up in that. I'm going to the scriptures because I want to be the, the scholar. And then I just make a fool of myself when I try to say big words, but the Bible is not a textbook. The Bible is the very living, breathing Word of God. It's the truth of the Word of God. And so when we go to the Bible, we've got to remember that we're going, and the only way we're going to actually be transformed by the Word and and it's going to be illuminated is by the power of the Spirit. So before I even open the Bible, I challenge you to do the same. Sit down and pray. And say, God, I, I need you to illuminate. The, what does the Bible say? James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God, and he's going to give you wisdom. And so, God, give me the wisdom, your wisdom. Illuminate this, the word of God into my, because this is not just my truth. This is not just, this is the truth. You know, uh, two weeks ago, it was, the, it was the Friday before I left for vacation. Um, and we were exhausted. It was I was at work. And I've been exhausted because I was like just we were just booking. I had to write two sermons, just booking it. Um, My family was going crazy, and uh, I had to be at work at five o'clock on Friday in the morning. And so I get there and I'm tired, I'm half asleep. And this guy comes in and he wants to he work out, but he worked out right next to where I stand, and and he starts talking to me at five thirty in the morning, and not just hey how you doing, good morning, like the deep meanings of life wanting to talk to me, and and he said he was, he, was, he said he was a Christian, but he's like, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe the Bible is the word of God, and I believe this, and I believe this is true for me, and it's all subjective, like, it's really my truth is this, but you know, somebody else's different belief, like Muslims, they have their truth, and they have their truth, and we went back and forth, but here's the thing, I was so irritable and tired, so I got asked for forgiveness, but he, every time I tried to say something, he interrupted me, and he just kept talking, it was literally an hour and a half of this, okay, And eventually, I stopped him. I said, look, dude, I don't know his name. I don't know who he was. I said, look, I'm not going to talk anymore. I said, because you don't want to have a conversation. You're interrupting me. You don't want to hear what I want to say. You just want to hear yourself talk. That's fine. I'm going to put my headphones back on, and you could talk and hear it all day long, Okay. I said, but listen, before I do this, I say, this idea that all this truth is relative and this truth, the Bible, may be true for you. I was like, do you believe in do you believe that adultery is wrong? He says, yes. I was like, okay, is that true or is that just true for you? And he said, he knew the right answer. He said, well, it's true for true for everybody. I said, absolutely. Because if it's not true for everybody, then it's not true for you. It's not truth. It's just, it's just this objective or subjective thing that you You sit under. It means nothing. Is it true for all people at all times, or is it just true because we collectively said it was true? No, it's true for all people at all times because it's it's objective truth from God. Is it true that murder is wrong or is that just true for you? It's true for all people. And so I said, look, here's the thing. You cannot say that youth is just truth. I was like you are being a coward. And I said, I'm going to pray for you that God gives you the boldness to go preach to people and tell people about the love of God, that the truth of God is applicable to all people at all times because it's not just true for you. It's true for them, it's true for them. And I was pointing to people in the gym. It's true for them, it's true for them, it's true for them. The Word of God is true for all people. Yeah. And then he stopped talking. Um, and, but he, he received it. And here's the thing you may say, well, that sounds harsh. Now, I, I don't. When it comes to unbelievers, I'm not harsh, okay? I'm gentle with unbelievers. When it comes to believers who run their mouth and speak false heresy, I get frustrated and it it pushes my button, especially at 5.30 in the morning. Okay, we pray because this is the Word of God and it's truth and we're seeking it and we desire it and we want God to illuminate us. Okay, so now we get into the actual Bible study methods. First is observation. Now, most of the study process is observation. Most of the main Oomph of this is all observation because observation is trying to, is the art of awareness. You're trying to pull out every little thing to figure out what it, the question that you ask during observation is, what does this say? Not what does it mean? You're not interpreting, you're not going to the Greek, you're not studying this all. You're just like, what does it say? So you're looking at all the details, like who's writing it, who's this, who's this. And you're just observing. It's like this uh, I need a volunteer. Jack, stand up here. Okay. I'm gonna blindfold you. <laughs> Can you see? No. Now, here's what I want you to do. Okay. I don't want you to pick it up. I just want you to touch it and feel. I'm gonna put something in front of you. Okay. And I want you to give me like five to ten. Just don't tell me what it is. Don't try to explain what it is. Just tell me what do you feel? Fabric. Fabric. That's one. Plastic. Plastic. Uh, feels rubbery. It's rubbery. Rigid. Good. This part feels smooth. Good. A little bit of texture. Good. Okay. Um, I stitching. Stitching. Like woven. Um, okay. No, no. give me a, a smell. <laughs> 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 what does it smell like? It smells like nasty feet. <laughs> Alright, so what do you think it is? It's a shoe. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good, good. It's a I you're your blindfold pull. All right, so now here's the thing. If I was just to tell Jack, I want you to explain to me a shoe. Okay, explain to me a shoe. Now he's gonna he's gonna say, well, it's got you know a sole, it's got rubber, it's got whatever. But here's the thing: the problem is, is because he's so familiar, because we're familiar with a shoe, we're gonna just kind of briefly summarize the shoe from our own preconceived notions and read into that. That's what a shoe is. But see, when our job with the word of God is we can easily do that because especially with verses we know, like whether it's, you know, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, like the verses we memorized when we were children, we can go to that verse because we know that verse. We studied that verse. We heard a hundred sermons on that verse. We've, you know, our denomination, whatever background we have, they interpret that verse this way. And so when you get to a verse like that, you're like, well, I already know it. I already know what that means. I read into my interpretation. But our job is to be blindfold, like Jack, and to feel around. Well, that's a shoe, but but let me feel the fabric. Oh, there's stitching right here. Oh, there's there's an imperfection right here. Oh, there's, there's rubber right here. There's ridges right here. They, you start feeling the things that you would never see unless you get into it with an open mind, a mind that is clear, not bringing in all your preconceived notions. You're just trying to figure out what does it say? What does the word of God say? And so the first thing that we need to do in the observing part is to read. That's the first thing. It's so basic, right? Basic. It's the most basic part of this. Read, read, read. But it's the, probably the one thing that most people don't want to do. But This is if you're going to observe the Bible, you need to read the Bible. And then, now if you're with our Bible study, what we did in our Bible study on Wednesday night is we read the entire book of Ephesians because we've been studying Ephesians. We read it through, straight through out loud, and then we read the section that we were reading. We read the section three times out loud. And so you're just reading it, reading it, reading it. Then you figure out who the recipients are, okay? In the book of Acts chapter one, let's read. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now, who is Luke writing the book of Acts to? Theophilus. Right, And so now we can start studying, okay, who's Theophilus? What is this? Where is he? So we start seeing okay, who is the intended reader? We see this in Luke too. And as much as many have taken in the hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So once again, Luke is writing to this man, Theophilus. So our job later on would be to figure out who is this guy, but this is the recipient, okay? We also see in the book of James, James is writing to people who are being persecuted. Those, the persecuted church, the persecuted believers. That's the recipients. Then we start to see who, what's the purpose? Now, all of this is just once again, reading, reading, reading the scriptures, having our eyes open, right? So stay with me. So the purpose, let's read John chapter 20, figure out what John, the Gospel of John's What's his purpose for writing the gospel? And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So what's John's purpose of the gospel? That you have life, that you may believe right? That you may believe. So John's purpose in writing the gospel of John was that for an unbeliever to read it, see who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, and that they come to faith and have life. Luke's purpose was to Theophilus, an already a believer who heard the truths of gospel, but not give him an orderly account so that it strengthens his faith. So if you're talking about which gospel to read, depending on where you are, if you're a new believer, Luke is great because it's strengthening your faith. If you're an unbeliever, the gospel of John is great because his purpose was to create believers to to come to faith in Christ. You see how that starts to work? Then you look for a special emphasis, the letter of James. What's the emphasis in James? Faith and works, right? The emphasis throughout every chapter is faith and works, faith and works. We see it throughout the chapter. So you just start to see that. Now, I want you to think about this. All of this can get over our heads. It can get too much. You're like, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to figure that out. This is the one thing that I want you to walk away with. Just read, Okay. If you just start with that, as we continue on, if you just start with read, 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 you are way ahead of most people. You don't have to figure out the purpose of every book. You don't have to figure out the author or the recipients of every book. But if you just read it, it's going to put you ahead. Because I've heard every excuse why we don't read. I've heard, look, we don't read because I don't have time. Everybody has time. Everybody has 24 hours of the day, right? I don't know who doesn't have that, but we all have to decide how we're we going to spend those 24 hours in the day? I've heard. Well, it's too boring. I don't like it. I don't want to eat. I don't want to read it. I, I don't understand it. Look, I've heard a lot of these excuses, but I'll tell you what I've never heard. I've never heard anybody tell me, "Hey, David, I'm not going to eat anymore. I just I don't like eating. I don't have time. I don't have time to eat. It's too boring. Eating is boring." You know, and, and 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 you know what? I'm kind of a water drinker. I like water, so I'm just gonna for the rest of my life. I'm just gonna drink water. It's 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 really what gives me sustenance. It's really what feeds me. And I, so so I'm just gonna drink water for the rest of my life. I just don't like eating anymore. And yet, here's the problem with that. I've never heard anybody say that. Why? Because when you get hungry, you can't help getting hungry. You need food. And the Bible says, Peter says, long for the word of God like a baby longs for milk. We need to drink. We need to eat. It's our food. The, Jesus says that no man, nobody can live off of bread alone. We need to live off every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need it. It's our food. And the Bible says that we grow up in the Lord through the word of God, the spirit of God using the word of God to train us into the image of the son of God. We need that's It's our food. And yet I hear so many times people like, I just, I don't want to read. I don't want to do that. You know, I'm more of a emotion. I like I like the worship stuff. I like I get more into the worship and the emotional stuff, and and that's where my sustenance comes from. I'm not a reader, I'm not like one of you guys readers. I'm like more of the worship emotional side of things. That's where I get fed. You know, the Bible works for you, but not for me. Guys, that makes no sense. And I'm gonna say this as loving as I can. If you are not hungry, then we need to check ourselves. If you're not starving for the Word of God, then I'm not saying that it's a reflection on whether or not you're saved. It could be. Not if you're in Christ. I'm not getting anybody to doubt them in Christ because whoever confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart and truly confesses He's Lord is saved. But I think that this is a reflection, at least that you're walking in the flesh and not in the Spirit. And so I want us to check our hearts on this because we should be starving for the Word of God. So then... In observation, this is where it kind of gets fun. We go back to seventh grade English, OK? Go back to seventh grade English. This is where you go back and you got to learn your verbs, your pronouns, your adjectives, your adverbs, conjunctions, right? I'm just going to prepositions, coordinating conjunctions, subordinating conjunctions, adverbs correlated, conjunctions, interjections. I didn't know any of those things, OK? Don't, I'm not smart. I'm reading them. <laughs> But you go back and you, like I said, you go as deep as you want, but it's just studying it. What are the verbs in the verse, in the, in the verse? What are the commands in the verse? What is the repeated words in the verse? This verse up here is Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and and 2. It says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, that which is spiritual service to worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now listen, so when you're looking at this verse, you would say, okay, what is what are the commands here? Well, the commands are, do not but be, right? So do not be conformed, then what it's being compared to, compare and contrast, or it's being contrasted to is do not be conformed, but be transformed. So now I'm gonna be circling what is transformed, what is conformed, and you're just writing all of this, marking, verbs, nouns, who is who, what is what, parallel passages, repeated words, and just write it down, draw a line to another repeated word, draw a line, and you're just marking, like just scribbling all, now if you're one of those people, like I can't do that to my Bible, Some of us, like, we just don't write in our Bibles, right? And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want, you know, a nice, pretty Bible, um, nobody's, you know, written on it, that's okay. I do challenge you, though, to get a piece of paper, at least a notebook that you could rip out and stick it in the pages or, you know, sticky notes and stick it on the pages as you're doing it. And so you just have it written, you're writing it, writing it, writing it, writing it. And so, and especially this kind of process, because this could get sloppy, like I get, some people love to write notes, like this is what God's illuminated and showed me, but this can get really sloppy. Like you're just drawing in circles and underlining and marking and scratching and drawing lines. And you're just figuring out what does this text say? Now, what does it mean? So as you're writing, what are the major, major words in this section? Do not be conformed, but be transformed. So I, what I would do and what I've done is I would circle those two words. So later on in the interpretation, I'm gonna look up what those mean in the Greek. And so to be conformed is the pressure from the outside coming in, the world pushing you into a mold to make you look like them. To be transformed is metamorphosis. It's the word metamorphosis. It's it's like a butterfly turning into, from the inside out, to a butterfly. So you guys with me so far? You're just dissecting, dissecting, dissecting. Then you get to interpretation. Interpretation. And this is where you get external things. This is where you get the concordance, the Bible dictionaries. This is where you get maps. And this is where you could even get, as a last resort, you would get a Bible commentary or a study Bible. That's a last resort because that's somebody doing the work for you and just telling you, this is what I've done. Okay, so that's the last resort. What I always use the Bible commentaries for is I do the work and then I go back and compare, is this what they got? Right, and if it's not, it's not saying I'm right or, or they're, I'm wrong, and they're they're right. It's just okay, is this what they got? Well, where we differ historically, where we. Differ. So you see what I'm saying? Okay, if you don't want to buy concordances and Bible dictionaries and all these different things, there are some free resources on the paper Bible.org, Blue Letter Bible. You could go online. You could also find other ones, apps, and stuff that will get you the Greek, get you the Hebrew parallel verses to kind of get you connected with what does this mean, what does that. Then we get to meditation. So once you've interpreted it, you get to meditation. Once again, this is not home. Close your mind. Hindu meditation. This is sit on the verse. Sit on the verse. You just you just study it. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. God, I I don't want to be conformed by the things of this world I'm feeding my mind I'm being pressured in by everything I'm watching everything and just sitting with that and just thinking about that and just meditating on it but be transformed by the word of God and just meditating thinking praying through and then you get to application you move to application and application is man god I want to live this out transform my life now here's the thing about application you could have direct application but you also could have indirect applications the direct application the bible says do not murder in the old and new testament Do not murder. Now, I don't have to do a lot of legwork to figure out how that applies to me, right? It's it's fascinating, especially with commands, like how many people try to do the legwork to get it to not apply to them. You know, it's like, don't commit adultery. Well, what Jesus really meant was people who are not in monogamous loving relationships, right? So if I'm in a love relationship, I love my, my, my girlfriend. So I think what Jesus, no, it's directly applied, okay? application, application, you don't have to do a lot of legwork. Now, there are some things, like in the Old Testament, when God's talking to Israel about their going into their promised land and he gives them certain promises that are for them in their promised land that we don't directly apply to us going into Ingalls, right? We're in Waynesville, okay? Like, there's, there's certain problems, but it doesn't mean we negate them. Here, we don't negate them. We learn the nature and character of God, things that we could apply to our own life and grow in them. Right? When God says don't eat pig, we can read that and say, well, that directly translates to us. No, because we're reading it through the lens of the entire Bible. We know that Jesus came victoriously to fulfill and satisfy the law. Right, and so we now are able to read that, interpret. Now doesn't mean we negate that whole section of the scriptures. We learn about the nature of God, the purity of God, the holiness of God, the character of God. We learn all of that in His commands. They may not directly apply to us one like that, but they do apply to us in that we learn about the character of God. It makes sense. Okay. So, poem. What's first? P. O. I. M. And A. All right. You guys are good. All right. One last thing. One of the biggest questions that I get when we do Bible study methods is which translation to use. I mean, I I get that all the time. Like, I got this translation. Is this translation good? Is this translation good? So how do we get all of our translation? That's a big question. How do we get to where we are today? How do we get the English from the Greek? How do we get where we are? And so what translation should I pick? And so what I'm going to do is twofold. I'm going to address which translation, how we got there. But I'm also going to address a big question amongst many believers is, is the King James Version the only version? Okay? Because there's a whole group of people that say, hey, KJV only, baby. If you are not KJV, if it's not, I, I, there's a bumper sticker. I think somebody has it. If it ain't KJV, it ain't the Bible. That's what I've seen it. I got behind this card. So, but there's a, and, and this, I'm not going to bash KJV because KJV is a very solid Bible, but I'm going to talk about why it is not the only version. So, real quick, how did we get our Bible? Our Bible was originally written in what? Greek and Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, but the New Testament was Greek. Now, in about 400 AD, there was a movement that translated the Greek into Latin. And it was what we know as the Vulgate Bible. Okay, the Vulgate Latin Bible, Latin Vulgate Bible. We had the Latin Vulgate Bible in the Roman Catholic Church for a thousand years. That's the only translation we had outside of Greek was the Latin Bible. Now, the problem with that is nobody spoke Latin. The only people that spoke Latin were the popes and the elite. So the common folk, we didn't get a chance to read Latin, we didn't know Latin, so we couldn't read the Bible. We were at the whim of the Catholic popes, and this is why we see some heresy pop up, such as purgatory, and such as, we're gonna have a holy war, so give to the church so we can fund our holy war, and if you give to the church, I will actually pray that your ancestors, your great-grandma, your nana, who died last week, will actually get out of purgatory a little less time. So she's in there probably for like 80 years. I could probably knock off 10 if you give for the Holy War. like That's the kind of stuff. They would actually go around and sell Peter's bones, like artifacts, for the Holy War. But nobody knew any wiser because they didn't didn't know how to read the Bible and they were at the whim of the Catholic Church who were saying, if you don't listen to us, if you don't, we we will kick you out of the church and you're damned to hell. And so a man by the name of John Whitecliffe came around. And John Whitecliffe translated the Bible into English. And he was hated by the church. He was persecuted by the church. They wanted John Whitecliffe dead because the common man should not be able to read the Bible. The only problem, the only argument with John Whitecliffe was that he took the Latin version, the Vulgate Bible, and he translated it into English. So now we have a middleman. Now we have Greek, Latin, English, right? And that's how a lot of people think that we got our translations, was we just kind of translated off of a translation, off a translation, off a translation. So we're like, well, how can we know that we really have the the real Bible because it's just translated off of each other. So we probably have a whole crazy mistranslation after translation after translation. But this actually happened. Greek, Latin, John Wycliffe, English. It was a great Bible, but it was off the Latin. And so many people grumbled about this, complained about this, and a man by the name of William Tyndale came around and he said, I'm going to translate the Bible straight from the horse's mouth. I'm going to go back to Greek, and I'm going to translate it. Well, what happened was he made it to the New Testament. He finished the New Testament, and the church was so enraged with him that they burned him at the stake. They killed him. And so he died to get the Bible into English, into your hands. Well, he only finished the New Testament. Then a man by the name of Miles Coverdale came around and he finished up the Old Testament into English from the Hebrew. And so this is where we get the English Bible. And it was known as the Great Bible. The Great Bible it was the first Bible in English straight from the Greek. Everybody loved the Great Bible. And now it had some errors. It had some flaws in it. Translation errors. And so when... A couple hundred years later, a woman by the name of Mary, Queen Mary I, came around and she wanted to get rid of the great Bible. She wanted to get rid of it all, the Protestant movement, and she wanted to go back to the Latin Vulgate, back to the Catholicism. So she slaughtered 280 Protestant pastors and burned them at the stake trying to get us back to the Latin Vulgate where the church has the power. And by doing so, what she did was she drove so many of these Protestant pastors into Switzerland, to Geneva. They drove them into Germany. They drove all these Protestant pastors everywhere. And so out of Geneva, Switzerland, which is the home of John Calvin, right, the Calvinist movement, came the new translation that was actually superior to the great Bible, the Geneva Bible. Now, the Geneva Bible, it was translated and it was a very, very superior Bible, but it had the Cliff Notes, the Calvinist Cliff Notes. And, and so, but it, it, this is the Bible that William Shakespeare used. This is the Bible that the Puritans used. This is the Bible that the early uh, fathers used. This was one of the, this is the Bible. Until a man in 1604, King James I, comes along. And he says, I want my own translation because I can't use the Geneva Bible because it's got Calvinist roots and we don't want those Calvinists in our church. So. But I can't use the Great Bible because the Great Bible is inferior to the Geneva Bible and I'm not going to have an inferior Bible. So he grabbed a bunch of his scholars that surrounded him and he, they wrote and translated the King James 1611 version. Now, the 1611 version was interesting because the 1611 version has two versions, the he version and the she version, based out of Ruth. Ruth that says, he went on his way or she went on his way. So there's the he version and the she version. So you got lucky, which, which one do I have? Um, this is like a surprise. So I have the he or she version of the King James Bible. And so over the years, the King James translation has been actually revised over a 1,000 times until what we have today. So now when somebody comes to you and says, hey, KJV only, all you got to say, which one? Is it the 1611 version? Is it, is it the 1640 version? Is it, is it the, the 17, you know, which version? Which which is the only one that is the Word of God? Now, once again, I'm not saying anything bad, but there are some struggles with the KJV Bible. The first is that, once again, it's been translated and, and corrected over and over years. So the idea that it's the only version is kind of null and void but also the KJV was written and translated based off of early Greek that we had. The good thing now is we actually have earlier Greek. We found earlier Greek that even dates back to the second century, earlier Greek. So a lot of our modern translations, the NASB, the, the new King James, the ESV, a lot of these new translations are straight from the newest, earliest Greek that we have discovered. And so it doesn't, it's not changing the, the, the King James version. Any, I mean, it's not like major discoveries that's changing the, the, meaning of the Bible but it just gives us more depth of true Greek of what was actually written and so we are translating our modern versions off of the earliest versions of Greek but the third reason why it's hard with the King James is that there is a middleman once again the reason why people got mad at Whitecliffe was because he translated from Latin Greek Latin English well right now we have Greek Old English English and so if we're going to study with the King James Version, now we've got to learn Old English to learn to then move to Greek, right? We have a middleman. It's like this. I'm going to read two, two parallel passages. 1 Samuel KJV chapter 5. And the men that died not were smitten with the Imrods. All right. What's an Imrod? Someone was like, "I don't know what that means." But I'm, am I supposed to know what that means? No, you don't have to. Here's Samuel, New King James, and the men who did not die were stricken with the tumors. Okay, makes more sense, right? What's in Emma? Luke chapter seventeen. Doth he think? Doth he think that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? Question. I trow not. Okay. Does he think that servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? Question. I think not. Like I said, the King James version is awesome. It's a great translation, but it's not the only translation, and honestly, it's not even the most accurate translation. Uh, so, if you have your, your, your papers on the back side, you're going to have this diagram. Now, this, there's many more translations, many, many more translations. Obviously, you just go to U version like app, and it's like it's like a list. I mean. You just Translation after translation. But these are the most basic. These are the most familiar translations. But what we're going to see is from all the way to the left are modern translations that are word for word. This is, if you're going to study the Bible, I always encourage you to stay here. Okay. This is Bible study method territory. NASB, KJV, New King James, ESV. My, I usually on, on Sunday mornings, I use the New King James version. One of my favorites is the NASB though. NRSV is good. Now, then we start moving from the, the word for word, like, straight from the Greek, then to thought for thought, right? You know, you get to NIV, NLT, and that's kind of like, they kind of paraphrase it a little bit. They kind of do some of the legwork for you. What did the Greek mean? And that's a dangerous thing, but I think they do a decent job. There are some areas in NIV that I would say, we just need to have another translation that we could compare and contrast with. One of the modern word for word translations, but they start doing some of the legwork for you. And then you go all the way to this side of the thing, and you get to the message, which is just straight paraphrasing now listen i'm gonna hurt some feelings this morning i do not believe there is any place for the message in the church i also do not believe there's any place for the new passion translation in the church people say well no, there's a place for the message it's for the young believers no here's the problem with that it's not the bible and so even with a young believer could read it and they could understand it but they're not understanding scripture you see, the problem with the message is it's not word for word. It's not even thought for thought. It's one dude, Eugene Peterson, Peterson right? In order to write, read for his children, he interpreted the Bible himself and paraphrased it himself Without scholars, without a group of people, without people coming alongside of him and saying, this is the best way to paraphrase this, he did it himself, and he said, here's for my children to understand. Now, now, if you read the message, there are phrases, there are verses, there are things that I'm like, that is not even close to contemporary interpretation of the word. And so I really veer, I try to steer people away. NIV is, is good enough, like in the sense of if you, if you have a hard time reading scripture, the NIV reads really well. And like I said, there's some areas that I would just make sure you have a NASB or King James when you're studying. But usually, if you're going to study, stay over here. If you're trying to figure out what the Bible actually says, what would the what was the original Greek? How do I study? Stay over there. Okay? So let me finish up with one, one verse. I know I, I, when I was writing this sermon, I was like, I don't like to, to miss the Word of God. I don't want to just... Teach. So I was like, I want to just end with the Bible because that was a lot of information and and hopefully you gained, if you gained anything, just read, 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 read in context, read, 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 read in context. But I want to read Psalms 1. This is one of the first verses that I've ever memorized, the whole section I've ever memorized. But Psalms 1, I want you to read this with me. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now listen, what I love about this chapter, and as I was reading it again, as I was reading it this week, I was... um, I was convicted again. This this is one of those things, one of those sections in the Bible that every time I go to it, I'm convicted. I'm convicted. Like, God has taught me something new. But I love the progression of this. There's a progression. It says, those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, those who not stand in the position of sinners, right, or do not sit in the position of scoffers, right? So there's this progression. But I want you to notice the word blessed, Blessed are those. So this is, if you, how many of us want to be blessed? Okay, God says, I want you to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. he says, blessed are you. So we want to know how am I going to be blessed. So blessed are you if you do not do something, and but you do something else. So blessed are you if you don't do this, but you do this. So what's the don't do and what's the do, right? Blessed are you if you don't walk. Blessed are you if you don't walk in the, the counsel of the wicked. What's he talking about? What Walking in the counsel of the wicked. What's walking in the counsel of the wicked? It's just this progression of walking and all you are doing is receiving the counsel, the wickedness of the world, your counseling of the world, the, 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 the information of the world all day long. Did you know that all day long, the average American household has the TV on eight hours a day. The average American has their social media on four hours a day. That we're constantly being bombarded with the counsel of the wicked. That we're watching movies and and they're being we're being brainwashed and 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 we're being we're being sensitized desensitized by movies. You know, I I, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but um a while ago I forgot how bad I I didn't realize how bad I was getting, but I watched this movie, and I was like, you know what, that wasn't that bad of a movie. I could like recommend. I think it was either I recommended to Savannah or my my parents. I might have been my parents. I think it was way back then, but I remember this very strongly. But I, re- I recommend. It. I was like, yeah, we can watch it together. And so, but when you're watching it by yourself, you're just not even thinking. You're like, oh, that was a good movie. You know, there, there was maybe a few bad parts, but there was a good movie. But then you watch it again, and you're more sensitive because you can't sit there with your parents, and and, and watch the you know certain kind of movies. And like, it was like every scene was a cuss word. Was this this was that and was that? And I was like. Okay, we could turn this off anytime you want. Like, honestly, I, this is not the same movie I watched. I don't know. They, they must have switched it at the movie. Like um, Netflix did something. I don't know. Um, but it's like we are desensitized and brainwashed and we're getting to the council, listening to the council of the wicked. And in fact, I have people all the time recommend movies to me. And I, I, stopped, I stopped taking recommendations. I just don't. Like people, because they'll recommend movies to me. And they say, it's not that bad. There's only like one part in it. I mean, there's only one part where they, like, one nudity scene, or one cuss word, or one, you know, kind of context. It was kind of, you know, there's only one, but it wasn't that bad. I mean, could you imagine, I once heard of this illustration this week on the way, on the way to the beach. I was like, could you imagine if I, I gave you a cup of water and I said, hey, here's water. It's 99% good. You're like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's 99% good. I mean, the, the 1% is just, it's cyanide, but it's okay. It's okay. It's good. You know, or ninety-nine okay, percent good, but you know the one percent is a loogie, right? Would you? Would you like? Okay, that's okay, now. I'm done. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. You know, and it, and that's the truth. Is like man, we're listening. We're bombarded. We're being molded. We're being counseled, and that's what the, the Bible says. bless. You want to be blessed? Turn off the counsel. You want to be blessed? And, so, and I get it. I, and this is, like I said, convicting for me because I understand that that pool that Satan has, like you're missing something. You're going to miss something. You're not going to be seen as cool. Your friends won't know. You won't be able to. How can you witness if you have not watched the new season of The Bachelor? I mean, come on. Like you're not going to be relevant to anybody because you got to see Bachelor, right? You know, and there's lies of God. I'm missing it. I'm missing it. Who's, who's he going to choose? Who's he going to fall in love with this time? I'm going to miss that. And the Bible says you want to be blessed. Just turn it off. I promise, you're not gonna miss it. You're not gonna miss what what I'm learning about politics, it's the same thing over and over again every single day. You know? And then every once in a while, something major happens, happen, we'll blow somebody up, and then it just goes back to normal. And so we'll, you know, you'll hear about the blowing up some things, so you won't miss that. But everything else is just mundane, trying to get you to walk in fear, anger, anxiety, depression. Control you, control you, control you. You want to be blessed, stop walking in the council. And he says, because here's the thing walking in the council and this progression, then you stand in the way of sinners. You see how this progression happens is you're you're listening to the council, walking in the council, walking in the council, and then you stop and you start to participate. You start to participate in the sins. And I see this all the time. It's once again, it's, it's like that frog in the kettle where you used to be like, no, I would never. And, I, and I've seen this with men, you know, I, I knew people, I, good friends of mine who were so strong in the word of God, and they get married, and like, I would never get a divorce, never happening, I'm so strong. But then over the years, they watch shows, that kind of glorify, that, make it look nice, they watch things, counsel of wicked, well, he did this to you, or she did this to you, the counseling, the counseling, the counseling, counseling, you get to a point 20 years later, 10 years later, and all of a sudden, it starts to seem like, okay, it's not that bad. God would understand because, uh, you know, the way that I relate, you know, and you start to justify, you sit in the council, you sit now in the place of sinners. And then he says, but then after a while, blessed are you when you're not sitting in the ways of the wicked, where you're counseling. See, see where it was, you were walking and other people like, haha, you idiot, you living for God. God says love everybody. You know, that's not wrong. And you're just walking in the council of the wicked He's just like, come on, it's good. It's good down here. We're just enjoying life. And you like, you know, you're walking, listening, listening, listening. And then all of a sudden you stop and you start, well, maybe I could enjoy it. You stop and you start doing it. You start doing it. And then eventually after doing it for a while, you're like, man, this is good. This is ridiculous. Those Christians aren't doing it wrong. Or you know what? They have a misinterpretation. They believe the Bible says this is sin. This is not sin. So you start to sit down and you start to tell everybody, this is why I I get so angry when other christians are teaching things that are contrary to the word and saying this is good the sin is good this is good i don't care about unbelievers i'll i'll be gentle with you all day because you're blind you're dead you're unbeliever you have an excuse but a believer is now sitting down scoffing at other believers and participating in the counsel of the wicked and that is the progression that the psalmist is trying to say he says you want to be blessed Rather than being that and letting the train start, he says, the blast, your delight is in the law of the Lord. Where you meditated on it day and night, day and night. You wake up and you read it. You have it on your, I love it. We have, we have breakfast and dinner. We we have this big Bible verse, the Bible verse of the week that we put in for our children. And it's just like, we sit it right there, caked right, so we have to stare at it. And every night we talk to our children. What's the Bible verse? What's the Bible verse? We meditate on it. The, the Hebrews would put it on their foreheads. They put it in a little neck. They put it on their doorpost Everywhere, the word of God, we meditate it on day and night. David says, I delight in your law. I place your law on my heart, O Lord, so that I may not sin against you. It says that you are like a tree planted next to a stream of water. Imagine there's a river, and you plant a tree, and it's just sucking from that river, the nutrients, the nutrients, the nutrients, getting stronger and thicker. You can't push this tree down. You're growing in the word of God. That is who you are, but the wicked are not so. Those who are counseling of the wicked, sitting with the, the, the scoffers, sitting in the sin, they are like chaff. You know what chaff is? Chaff is, if you ever, like, it's, it's wheat, but we would know, and no one has to handle wheat, like, uh, unless you're a wheat farmer, but most of us, most of us would know peanuts. If you ever have a peanut, and you pull that little shell thing off, little skin, not the hard skin, but the little skin around the, the shell, peanut, that, that flaky stuff, that's chaff. The wheat has the same thing. That's when they 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 beat it on the threshing floor. They beat the, the the wheat so it gets all of that flaky stuff, and it just goes up into the the wind, the sky, and the wind blows it away because it's so light. You just <sighs> blessed are you because you're not you you are a tree. You're not <sighs> because he says the wicked will not stand in the seat of judgment. I didn't I didn't mean to preach on this whole thing, but. But we got time. Listen. It's so common today in modern America where believers and unbelievers alike, we think that we're going to stand before a holy God. The God who molds us. They give his life. They give us breath the God who says, this is what I command of you. This is how you ought to live. This is who I made you to be. And you don't get to decide. You follow me. I am your Lord, but I'm also your Father. I love you, but I am your God. I'm your creator. And we think that we think we're going to stand before this God. And we're going to stand in front of him and say, God, I've got a bone to pick with you. Why did you let the evil happen? Why did you let this happen? Why did you, and we're going to stand before God in judgment over him and his decrees? Are you nuts? Like, are you crazy? This is not like God, like Ned Flanders on Simpsons kind of Christianity. (laughs) There's a God. That's not the God that we serve. It's not a cartoon on a cloud with a beard. It is God, the creator. Every breath you have is given by him. And you standing before this God thinking you're going to have a bone to pick with him? You're going to stand in judgment over him? That's crazy. That's like you standing in front of a nuclear wormhead and say, "God, step back. I got this. Let me handle it. I, th- I think I can contain it. He says, no, no. Here's the thing. You're, you're going to stand. You're like chaff. You're going to stand in front of God. And you're just like, Oh, yeah, God? i got a bone to pick with you. And God's going to be like, The, the, the wicked will not stand in judgment over God. And he says the ways of the wicked will be destroyed. This battle that we fight today, the battle of the flesh, right now when you go home, there's going to be a battle of the flesh. Maybe you're tired and you and your wife get in a fight and you're like, I don't want it to fight. I, I, I want to live righteously. That battle of every morning, I don't want to get up, I don't read the Bible, but I need to. That, that ways of the wicked, the Bible says one day that's going to be gone. And could you imagine where everything in you wants to delight in the Lord? Everything in you delights in the Lord. Everything in you pursues God. Everything in you loves God. Everything in you desires God. There's nothing in you that desires something else of this world. God says, one day that's all going to be destroyed. The ways of the wicked. The wicked will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. It right now in this room I am not naive to think that there's there's unrighteous people in this room that have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. There are probably people in this room in every congregation, there are people mixed in. That's why the Bible says there's going to be people mixed in, righteous and unrighteous, just a bunch of weeds and fruit all mixed in together. My job is not to pluck you because I could pluck a baby fruit and just there's not bearing fruit. We just let it all grow together. And the Bible says in the end God's going to come and sift through it all and he says the way ways of the wicked. The, the wicked will not sit in the seat of righteous. They will not stand in this, the congregation, the assembly of the righteous. One day, everybody, you look around, every person that you look around at will be 100% righteous and in love with Jesus. They will not hurt you. They will not have no interior motives. They won't be walking in arrogance and pride. Guys, It all is rooted in the truth of God that will never fail, will never fade. It will never leave. The word of God is eternal. So blessed are you when you meditate on that. Because everything else in this world is going to fade away and be destroyed. Blessed are you when we are rooted in what's eternal.